0: Lisa Lee here, and I'm so excited to be sharing today's interview round episode with you. In these episodes, our brilliant lineup of guests will include healthcare practitioners, voice educators, and other professionals who will share their stories, knowledge, and experiences within their specialized fields to empower you to live your best life. Whether you're a member of the voice community or beyond, your voice is your unique gift. It's time now to share your gift with others, develop a positive mindset and become the best and most authentic version of yourself to create greater impact. Ultimately, you can take charge. It's time for you to live your best life It's time now for a voice and beyond. So, without further ado, let's go to today's episode. In today's show, I am delighted to share part two of my conversation with our guest, Jeanette Levetri, who is one of the most recognized and highly acclaimed voice teachers from around the world. In this episode, we learn more about Jeannie and the journey she embarked on as a voice teacher, the sacrifices she had to endure to create change, and the reaction she received from the greater voice community when she coined the term contemporary commercial music in 2000. Jeannie tells us that until that time, all music outside of classical music was deemed low art, and she explains that she had to be very intentional and very strategic in order to gain the respect of her classical colleagues. During our chat, Jeannie describes a little more about somatic voice work her trademarked method, which she developed to be applicable in a very practical way and was the result of her 40 years of studying voice as well as her own professional experiences. She shares that it was her vision to create a training program that was inclusive and welcoming and where the learning was conducted in a kind and sharing environment. In this show, Jeannie offers so many pearls of wisdom, such as what qualities she believes are essential for a good singing teacher to possess, the influence of voice science in singing voice pedagogy, her personal self-care regime, her legacy, and so much more. Jeannie was extremely generous with her time and you are going to love hanging out with Jeanette Levetry just as much as I did. So without further ado, let's go to today's episode. So at that time when you introduced CCM, did you get pushback from people lot, from the classical? What was the reaction from the classical world? Well, I
1: mean, I think the good news was that I was already outside their world a little bit. You know, I, yes, I did start teaching at a small college, like in nineteen 1985, maybe. But I wasn't a college professor. I didn't have a doctorate in education or something. So you also were considered I, academic, so to right. speak. And I was not somebody who had written a lot of books and papers. I mean, not back then. So they could only push back on me a little bit because good news was I was self-employed and I was relatively successful as being self-employed here mm-hmm. in New York. So what was they going to do to me? Fire me? Well, you can't fire me. I'm a worker yes. for you. Don't you love that? What a great position to be in. You're going to deny me tenure? I'm not interested in your tenure. Mm. Are you going to say bad things about me? Well, so what? How's that going to hurt me? I had already established myself in the profession through the organizations that are available because I could talk about what I was talking about in a way that made sense. The other thing that I did, and, and this is, I mean, I can't validate this, Marissa, but The other thing that I did was I was smart enough to keep my classical singing in good shape.
0: Yes, yes. So So those people could see that you could make those sounds as well, gave them a little bit of comfort, perhaps. Right. I was still part of that world enough so that if I sang something classically, they
1: wouldn't go, "Ooh, that was disgusting. They would have to go, oh, oh, uh-huh. that's pretty good, you know. Mm. So things that my Mozart stuff, the light, I finally got to a place where I know I w wasn't a big voice. I wasn't supposed to be singing a big material, but Mozart's garlatti, Handel, Bach, Mozart, all that was right for my voice. And as long as I stuck to that stuff, I was fine. So the ah, 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 that kept going. And then When I went away from it and went da-da, da-da-da-da, they couldn't say, oh, well, you know, that's okay, but you can't really sing real music because we sing real music. Mm -hmm. And I kept the classical sound as good as I could, so they couldn't say that about me.
0: Did you feel (laughs) that that... you needed to do that, or was that just serendipitous? No, no, it was very deliberate and
1: necessary. Mm. Very clever. I'd asked people, I said, when you came to my course the first time, if I had sounded really bad singing classical literature, would you have paid any attention to anything else I said? And they all said, no. Mm. So that in a way, I mean, I was being very um, aggressive in saying to like, I'm getting up and I'm going to sing Mozart in a way that you're going to respect. And then I'm going to belt. And then I'm going to sing other styles. Um, I mean, I lived in music theater. That was my whole life. And, I didn't say it out loud, but the the unspoken implied statement was, okay, can you sing that Mozart better than I just did? Oh, you can't. Can you do this other stuff too? Oh, you
0: can't. So that was my protection in a way. You know what comes to mind? Let he who is without sin cast the first stone.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and it's still true. Even now, 73, I don't sing like I did 20 years ago or 30 years ago. But when I want to demonstrate, I can. Yes. And people say to me, how do you keep that going? And I was like, well, I've never done anything in my throat that my throat shouldn't have done. I respected the boundaries and limits of my instrument. But then I was able to get my instrument to make various kinds of sounds in different styles. So... It never had to, well, it did in the beginning. I had to overcome a lot of really bad training where I sounded like I was 60 years old when I was 27. But once I got out of all that, as long as I stayed within the comfort zone of this body, which is right now I'm very heavy because I'm older. But when I was young, I was very small. As long as I didn't try to compete with somebody who was a 400 pound alto, yeah. My throat was okay. Yes, yes. And I think that the colleges were able to trust my coursework because it's grounded in science and because it's grounded in research and because of the experience I had working with and learning from the doctors and the speech pathologists and the voice researchers, but also because when I get up to sing, I can really still sing. Mm. And, and so the proof, I always say the proof is in the singing exactly and i've heard you sing yes performance and resonance is great now sing for me and show me how that works when you sing and i'm interested in singing honestly sing from your heart sing from your soul sing something that's meaningful to you i want to hear your voice expressing your point of view through you your mind otherwise you're just making sound and mm-hmm. there's a lot of classical training here in the United States, which is about give me the sound, 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 give me the resonance, give me the support, yes. give me the sound. Yes, yes. And oh, yeah, you have to express something good. but There's yeah. not a lot of emphasis on, listen, this is a very sad piece. How do you sound? How do you, you personally sound when you're sad? Mm. Now, can you feel that sadness and still sing? Because that should be your goal. Yes, So we've all heard really what I would call bad singing. Of, oh, I'm singing, you're my other voice. And nobody believes any sound like that because that's not a human being's normal expression. Mm. And um,
0: C- in the classical C-C, world. Yeah. CCM they, audiences would not accept that because it's the complete opposite. We're quite happy to accept imperfections as right. lo- in, in singing as long as it, the person is being authentic yeah. Yes. And we want to see their heart and their soul. We want to be Mm -hmm. able to look in their eyes, feel what they're feeling. We want to hear it in their voices. We want it real. We don't care about perfection and that legato, beauty of tone. We want the real person. We want the real deal. But it isn't really necessary
1: to, they're not in opposition to each other. No. Once you understand what they are. and. So you could play two different instruments. You could be good at tennis and also at golf. As long as you understand what the parameters of that particular activity is, and you get good at them, you can manage. The stylistic ingredients in each of the CCM styles is particular to that style. So a rock singer is going to ask for different things than a jazz singer of what they're doing vocally, or somebody who's singing Country music, as it is here in the United States, is maybe not going to sound the same as a music theater singer. And and that's also a point of contention, because up until in the 80s, I guess, when there was research, the first research on belting, the idea that that research said that belting was twang. And here in the United States, the word twang always only referred to the music from country, country music, music, from Appalachia and the southeast part of the United States. It represented how people spoke in what we would call the, the the hills, mountains, and um it had a kind of a banjo quality to it. Whereas belting was really here in New York was more like a trumpet. More like bah-ba-da-bah, bah-ba-da-bah. that sound carries and that was a very different kind of sound. So the word twang was usurped, pulled out of its roots, and applied to something that made no sense, except in worlds where nobody knew any different. Nobody had that history. So when I first heard Twang, I thought, oh, country music. And then, no, it wasn't country music. And so you have that unfortunate confusion with some of the terminology and other things that people are being taught to maneuver their vocal cords in a certain way or squeeze this and pull that and lift these. And really the body doesn't like any of that. Mm. Body just wants to leave itself alone and sing. Mm. And then the musical parameters, the acoustic parameters have to work with the style in your own voice. A lot of times with the young kids, they want to belt like they're 50 years old. And I say, no, 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 you know, if you're 20, sound like you're a 20-year-old belter, not like you're a 90-year-old belter. Yes. And, and that, that particular ingredient, that is classical in the traditional way, in that you only did certain repertoire by the time you, you, you grew into it over time. You didn't sing the biggest, most dramatic roles right away. You waited. You let your body and your voice develop over time. That's also true in ballet. You have the young ballerinas that grow up in the ensemble and they're taking class every day for years and years and years and years until they develop the stamina to do a long leading role like the swan queen in Swan Lake. They don't give that role to young women. Mm. Why? Because you don't have the stamina. And so uh, there are elements of, I guess, vocal wisdom that can be taken from traditional classical singing And applied to contemporary commercial music styles when we're dealing with who is this voice, who is this body, who is this instrument, and then what can we get this instrument to do in a way that's authentic and healthy. So that's how the semantic voice work got born. Um, And at the end of that first course in, in 2002, I got to the last hour of the fifth day, and I got all 60 people gave me a standing ovation and I just stood there crying my eyes out. Oh, because I thought, oh gosh, I guess they understood what I was talking about.
0: So it was a moment. It was a moment for you that all those years, all that learning, all that work that you'd done, having electrodes poking out of your (laughs) neck, all that you had been validated.
1: Yeah. And and when I that that the 1999 was the first year that I did research that I presented at the Voice Foundation like you did when you did yours. Yes. And um, that also was the first year that I did a workshop. And so I was allowed to sing at the gala. So this formal gala with all the scientists oh, Yes, I've been the doctors, there. And then they always have a famous opera singer there. I did. That uh, first year, the person who was the famous opera singer was a woman whose name was Licia Albanese, who had a huge career in Italy and the United States in the 40s and 50s and early 60s. And um, she was the guest of honor. So I got up. And the first thing I sang was the Mozart Aria from Magic Flute," "Pamina's Aria ich and then, when that was over, I sang Love Push number nine. Oh, my. I love that. <laughs> and I, I was thin then. I was still thin. And um, I came out in a very elegant-looking outfit. And I did, oh. so I did the whole thing. And when I finished the last note,
0: Madame Albanese said in a loud voice, Blava. I love <laughs> She didn't throw olive oil and tomatoes at you. <laughs> I was floored. Yes. And then I
1: really did feel like, okay, I have been exonerated here. Uh, uh. She did not have to say a heap. And it was really that last note dying away and then this loud brava before anybody could applaud. And so I was recovering from this. But then I turned around and I had prepared ahead of time a little podium, kind of like a speaker's podium, and I took my outer fancy garment, it was like a vest, long vest, I took it off, I put it on the podium, and I reached under, and I got a black leather vest, and a black oh. leather a newsboy cap, yes. and I I did that very quickly, this change, I went out of the classical, went into this I had on a skin tight black jumpsuit. So this thing went over me and I turned to the guy in the corner who was the electronics guy and I nodded and I was like,
0: I took my troubles down to Madam Ruth. (laughs) And the whole room was like, (gasps) Oh, that's unheard of in that context. I've been to those gala dinners (laughs) and they're full of pomp and ceremony. And everyone's watching P's and Q's and everyone's so formal. Oh, my goodness. Yes. When it was over, they were all very stunned. And I,
1: again, I was so nervous before I sang. Of course. I don't even have the words to say because I thought, boy, if I don't pull this off, if I don't make the classical piece impeccable, and then I don't sing this rock and roll thing like I really sing it rock and roll, I am going to fall flat on my face. Absolutely. People. Yes. And then the following year, I did research and I sang, uh, again, I was still very svelte. I had on a skin tight red dress. And I sang the silver dollar aria from the Ballad of Baby Doe, which goes up to a high C sharp, you know, C, C sharp six at the end. And then I turned around and sang, under the sea, under the sea. And I did a little mambo while I was doing it. And when it was over, the guest of honor that year was the American baritone, classical baritone from the Met, a Cheryl Milnes. And he came over and he said to me, where, where are you singing? And I said, in my kitchen. And he said, no, 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 I mean, where are you singing? Where are you performing? I said, in my kitchen. <laughs> he
0: said, I'm singing anywhere.
1: And he said, well, you should be. And I said, oh,
0: thank you. I can't believe Cheryl Milnes so awesome. has But you
1: did it. So, Yeah, but see, this was all the stuff that came, I was already, well, I was uh, 50 then. So this all came after, after a long, long time. And the complexion of the profession at that time was still very much, you know, you can either sing classical music or you can use your voice and sing that other stuff. And I was going to show them, no, that's not true. Mm. And you did. And so... It meant a lot to me to sort of say that is it's a wrong thought. you got to break that thought. And then after that, in 2006, there was a panel on contemporary commercial music at the Voice Foundation, which was hugely successful. And then it became more acceptable to start to do research on different kinds of singing, different kinds of styles. So now if you look at the the roster of the symposium, they have presentations on singing styles from India. Um, they have, uh, you know, catalogue music from Spain. They have yes. all different kinds of versions of music theatre.
0: Yes. There's been presentations on rock music. Prior to what I did, that you would never have seen that. Never. Well, you certainly paved the way then. That was incredible. You That took courage, but... The more you talk, I, the word resilient and tenacious keeps coming to mind. I think they're the two qualities, and I think part of that is probably the Italian heritage too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am an
1: Aries, and I have oh. five, I have four planets and the North Node in Aries. So I am, you know, the the song "Once there was a little old ram thought she punch a hole in the dam." No one could make the ram scram. She kept buttoning that damn, and that was this the Frank Sinatra song in the fifties and sixties, and it's called High Hopes, and it's talking about you know the ram. This has never given up, and that that is that is the the persistence. And I have to say, Marissa, in all honesty, it was fueled by my anger. People used to say to me, "Gosh, you seem so angry." I said, "I am." I'm very angry. You would be, too, if you were Mm. spoken to, like, oh, you want to sing that music? Well, that's not music. Mm. Who wants to sing that stuff? Mm. And that's why when I was in Australia the first time, which was in, like, 1994. Really? That early? Yeah, because Janice, like, brought me over there for two conferences, singing Broadway and popular music in 94 and 96 uh, to Sydney. And that was my first encounter with Australian training. And I thought then, and I still felt the same when I was there, like in 2019, that the Australians were much more open-minded, Yes, much more willing to just look at singing as singing. I think a lot of that was Irene's influence. Definitely. I I think that Irene's, also her bravery, her courage, and her tenacity was that she she was talking about singing is singing. Singers are singers. Doesn't matter. And so that attitude, when I got there, was like, wow, this is mm. different. I mm. mean, I don't, didn't get as much of that. Well, I'm a classical singer. Well, what yes. you, who are you? Yes. And I came back and I talked about that here. And I said, you know, when I was in Adele Nesbitt's, Elizabeth's class. I yes, did a, Adele's. Yes. I did a lecture in her pedagogy class. And here was this pedagogy class. And there were jazz singers and pop singers and classical singers all in the same class. I did that. And that. I said, this doesn't happen in America. You don't get the classical people mixed in with the other people as peers. That's mm. not happening. Mm. And Adele said, yeah, well, it's just how we are here. So I went back, I came back here and I said, you know, you people could learn something from the Australians. They have it together. And they looked at me like, whoa, whoa, who cares? We don't want to be like Australia. And I said, ugh.
0: Yes. Uh. I didn't even, I know exactly. I didn't even know that there was this high art, low art mentality till I started attending a conservatorium. We call them a conservatorium here. And then when I went to these voice conferences and then reading some of the Facebook group forums that I didn't realize it was such a thing because I had a very long and successful career as a CCM singer, and I couldn't understand why, on un, they had these programs where these people didn't have a hope in hell of getting a job after they finished a program. They were not going to be employable, and this music is what sells. Yeah, classical I know. music only constitutes one percent of of music consumption. And all the other styles are 99%. So where is this mentality coming from? Like, what is wrong with people? I I know a a
1: man, very nice man, very highly respected as a teacher, or pedagogue in one of our big universities, has done lots of research, very, very high-level research, great man, wonderful guy, can't sing, can't sing, has a reputation for being a terrible singer. And I once had a discussion with him in which he said, well, I consider it's my job to educate my students about the fine art of singing. And I said, well, what about if you want to help them get a job? Well, he said, I don't concern myself with that. Oh, I (laughs) still imagine these kids are spending thousands of dollars and they want to be singers and you don't
0: care if they get a job. I just thought that was the craziest really, thing I ever heard. It is, because imagine doing a law degree and thinking, well, I won't have a job at the end of it. You're still attending a university. You're still paying all the fees. You're still going there for the training for a job. So it makes no sense. Well, they We're, look at job training as being beneath them. Um, it's an
1: applied degree. Yes, you have a degree in voice. It's an applied degree. But, oh, why would you want to work? I mean, that's so below you. You want to be an academic. (laughs) So what do you do? Go and work at McDonald's? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's very strange as an attitude to talk to somebody who thinks that way. Now, Mm. I have to say, this particular teacher does have students who are professional singers who are out in the world, they're working. But it was like not part of his job as a college faculty to address whether or not their students could work. If they want, and of course, if they don't want to work, they want to become academic. All right, that's fine. That's There's fine. nothing wrong with that, but not because they can't work because you didn't prepare them for the real world where work happens, and mm-hmm. that mattered to me. So yeah. my goal is for the. I'm not teaching privately right now, partly because I stopped during the COVID quarantine, mm-hmm. but also because I have had health issues myself which have impeded my ability to get around to, you know. Okay. Yes. So um, I've now switched over to webinars. I'm doing webinars and we did our very first ever podcast. I don't think they've even been released yet. And then I do my, my summer Institute. So I do the um, Somatic Voice Work Institute in July. Uh, We have it for the third year in a row online only, which was the college Administration's decision. Yes. Yes, uh, yes. So we won't be on campus. The, the college campus is very lovely. It's a small college on the outskirts of Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm sorry, Cleveland, Ohio. Yes. And um, we probably will be back in person next year. But this has been very successful because since we're online, you don't have to fly to the United States. You don't have to stay in a hotel. You don't have to pay for transportation on campus. And it's afforded a lot of people who would never be able to participate to participate without paying for anything except the tuition. Except that. And so we attracted people from all over the planet. And the atmosphere is very loving. Like, you know, we have a lot of fun and people share. And there's a lot of welcoming. The young people learn from the older people. The older people learn from the young people. Uh And... It's a, a way for us to learn and share. I mean, that was one of the great things about when I finally was in Australia. I was teaching up in Toowoomba and Irene was came in and did a guest session, you know. And here's a woman who has given so much to the profession and is so kind, so down to earth, so absolutely available. Yes, she and, is. And she has her doctorate, she's at the conservatorium, but man, she just sing it. And I loved
0: having that interaction with her because that's how it ought to be. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I think we can be less territorial in our yeah. community yeah. and less ego. And you have an amazing faculty as well. I, I see I your do. your training program has grown yeah. and it's inclusive of many things now. It's not just you, which, I mean, no. you did a great job in pioneering all of that and establishing it, but now you have other teachers that are coming on board. Yeah. It was important
1: for me to share the work with other people so that anyone's interested can realize, well, gee, you know, gosh, I'll never be like Ginny. I can never do a Ginny. I mean, I no, you can't be me. You have to be you. Mm. But you can learn the same skills that I learned along the way without spending 40 years to collect them. Yes. You know, let me shorten your journey a little bit. Yes. And so we do have a medical lecture and a speech pathology lecture. And we have experts from jazz and music theater. And we have a movement specialist. And this puts everything in one place. And then the faculty, (laughs) faculty is all over the map. So, we have the people who teach in grade school. We have co- college teachers. We have choral director people. Jeff is our rock and roll guy. Is that uh, Jeff Costello?
0: Yeah. Jeff I Costello. see him. Yeah. Yes. I've seen him on Facebook. So,
1: we have people with different backgrounds. Yeah. And, and Trinice is one of yours. Yes. And yeah. Trenise is uh, our gospel and RB Blues person, and we've been very strongly supportive of Black Lives Matter and of the LGBT plus community. We really are working to be as inclusive and as respectful of everybody that we can. And um, I I really feel very blessed with this faculty. They're amazing. Mm, and people say to me, where did, where did you get this faculty from? And I "You know, I didn't. They picked me. I didn't go out and look for them. They showed up and then here they are. So as the community has grown and the work has grown, the kind of person who's attracted to the work is somebody who is open-minded, flexible, wants to keep learning, wants to share. I mean, people like you and people like your colleagues that I've met uh, like uh, Melissa Ford. Yes, Forbes. Um, yes. Melissa Forbes is one of those open-minded people. Yes. She and is. that, that is the kind of person that's attracted to the work. Mm. I don't get very many people who are like, well, I don't want to teach that. Good.
0: <laughs> go find something. Go find some, go and annoy <laughs> somebody else. That's it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so it was worked out. It's worked out well. And I don't really know, you know, 10 or 15 years to now when I'm probably no longer on the planet. I don't know where it's going to go, but I feel like kind of like it's I'm putting it out into the world and it'll go wherever it needs to go. And I mean, it's the same with what you're doing with your broadcasts, with interviewing different people, in different areas. Just yeah. the fact that you're doing that puts it out into the world, makes it easier for the younger people
0: to come in. And not have the same struggles that you had, because you had struggles too. Yes. Yes, I did. I I was definitely made to feel an imposter within oh. the academic world, but that's okay. That's fine. We've all moved on now. <laughs> We've all moved on. I have You're my book. Strong. I have a book now. So you know, that's some good. some of those people that made me feel like an imposter don't even have a book. <laughs> that's right. Yes. So just, I'd like to kind of start wrapping this up only because you've given so much of your time and I have like literally so many questions for you, but I I just want to ask a few more. So, so how much has, you know, we talked about voice science before, how much has that informed your teaching approaches and how important do you think that is? To our training? I would say that it
1: informed my my teaching a lot. It was very important for me when I worked with Dr. Simberg to know that what I had developed on my own was what I had developed on my own. So, in other words, that I knew that what I f- felt and experienced was yeah. what I felt and experienced. Yeah. I had an objective evaluation, both in terms of seeing it with the scope. And understanding the analysis on the piece of paper, which gave me enormous confidence. And I think that the, that keeps the process grounded in reality. So it's very important. Then the application when we're working is, do we want to teach voice science as pedagogy? No. You know, do you really need to know that this is, you know, your second formant is higher than your first formant? In my opinion, No. Mm. It's great if you can find that, you go on a machine and it tells you that. But unless we're going to carry the machine around with us all the time, we have to go by our own personal experiences. Mm. And so you learn to sing better by singing. Mm. And exactly. In the same way that I read all the traditional vocal pedagogy from all the well-known experts, classical, you know, going all the way back to Garcia and Lamperti, all the way up to the present moment, Warren Brown and people who have been highly respected in the pedagogical community for decades. But all of that information was aimed at classical singing. So did that inform uh, who I am? Yes. Does it inform my teaching? Yes. But then the rest of it, the information that I gathered while singing gospel music with the Broadway people and singing jazz with other people or whatever else I turned up, also informed what I'm doing. So I understood that in working with somebody, and I also did a lot of work on my body, Alexander Technique and Feldenkrais and different kinds of yoga and massage therapy and different kinds of physical movement systems, dancing Mm -hmm. of all different kinds. So I was always learning about my body as my body was getting older and changing. It's like, oh, I didn't used to be able to do that. And now I can. Or, gee, I used to be able to do that. And now I can't. Yes, staying informed about the somatic process as it go as you go through your life, you can't ever run out of that because your body's always
0: going to help help you either be a a good singer or not. Mm. So now it is our uh, it is our instrument after all. People forget that they think it's from here up. I know I'm having to adapt
1: to having a senior citizen body. And recognize, hmm, can't do that anymore. Okay. Okay. At least I know that. And so that's another key component of the application, which is, are you going to work with somebody who's maybe a really great singer, but who just had a baby and is now finally coming back and their whole body is in a disarray? How does that work? You have to find out where they are then. And same thing with working with somebody who's a dancer. Could be different than working with somebody who is a librarian. Maybe they equally gifted vocally and, and musically. Mm. But how did that? How does that body work when it comes mm. to singing?
0: Yeah. Some people
1: and, who are very physically fit are not very physically fit when it put put that
0: same kind of behavior towards singing. Yes, exactly, exactly, right. and also too how body aware the mm-hmm. difference between how body aware a dancer is as opposed to a librarian. And so you said that you've studied so many different things. What is one thing that you feel like, oh, I really want to go and study that either because I haven't studied it yet or I want to learn more about it? Is there something that piques your interest right now? Oh, boy, that's a
1: good question.
0: I guess if I
1: had a magic wand and I could poof and turn into some magic place I would love to go back and take more acting lessons. I haven't taken acting lessons since I was in my twenties. I'd like to see who I would be as an actor now at this point in my life and, and really just explore, you know, what kinds of characters could I play? And maybe sing also, you know, mm-hmm. maybe as a music theater performer, but as an older person mm-hmm. and just take different kinds of acting classes. Like, I yes. know I studied a few different techniques, but, Not extensively. And I think that would be – I also would like to take uh, training in how to do uh, voiceovers, like how to use your voice for commercials or, you know, film, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily be on camera. That would pull me. I'd be like, oh, let's go with it back.
0: You would be very good at that. I love listening to your voice, and and I love the way it moves through so many different pitch changes. (laughs) And once again (laughs) – I have to say that's the Italian too because yep. we are very expressive and, but when you put on your English accent, it doesn't really move very much in pitch range at all. So no. that cultural difference is, is <laughs> evident, you know, yep. 100%. And yes. you, you said too you've had some health issues so And and you are a really busy person. You're still doing so much. Your career is never-ending. What do you do for you? And what do you do for self-care? Well, what I had been doing was I go for regular chiropractic adjustments, mm-hmm. and I used to
1: go for fairly regular massages. Yes. Um. My husband and I are avocational ballroom dancers, so I used to, we used to love doing that. All of that Got squashed when COVID happened. Yes. And then I had hip replacement surgery in August of 2020. And unfortunately, the surgeon screwed up. Oh. So I didn't really fully recover. And I have gone all over the place trying to get an, a better result from other doctors. Mm-hmm. But nobody seen, Yeah, the, the consensus seems to be I'm stuck with what I have. So my ability to get around is quite compromised. And so. In terms of self-care right now, what I'm trying to do is adapt to the limitations that I have and try to take care of myself. So, okay. yes, Wow. I have to walk with a cane. Okay. So now I have to go to make sure I go slowly when I go up the stairs or go down the stairs. And that actually is, takes a lot of awareness. Mm. The other thing I try to do at least a little bit is vocalize. Oh, I try to keep the instrument alive because um, it makes me feel good. And I also feel like if I'm going to demonstrate, I want to know that I have a half a chance of having it come out the way I'd like. Yes. I've been, it's almost 10 years ago. I was diagnosed with a small spot on my left vocal fold that doesn't work right. And it was probably caused by vocal fold hemorrhage that was generated out of very severe bronchitis. And I was coughing and coughing, and I did everything. I couldn't handle it with more holistic and Western medicine, and I still couldn't really not cough. So I broke a blood vessel on one of the vocal folds, and probably that has contributed to the spot, this one spot that doesn't vibrate properly in my middle range. So I had to adapt to that as well. And the music theater music that I lived in all my life, which was my heart and soul. A lot of it is completely unsingable now. I cannot sing it. And that's heartbreaking. But I can manage with other styles and I can manage if I don't push on myself too much. So that's also something that would be the self-care element of, okay, I can't do what I can't do. Now let's find out what I can do. And, And that's an attitude that I have about teaching also is I always try to tell the teachers that are working with me, find what the student can do first. Find out what they can do. And so, and if you start with, even with beginners, find out with can they go louder? Can they go softer? Can they speed up? Just with your speaking voice. Yes. Can, can they go up a little or down a little? And then from that, coax something new, coax something different. If you ask, sometimes if you ask somebody just to slow down, they don't know how to do that. Because in speech, we hardly ever have a reason to talk very slowly. But that's closer to singing, right? Mm. So I always try to get them to look at glass half full first. And then if they're going to make a change, to look at it as accommodating the capacity that the person has while you introduce new behavior rather than fixing something that's wrong. Because already that's a bad attitude to begin with. Mm. You know. Yes. You've given the attitude the person's not adequate because something's wrong and you have to fix it. No. Take a look at okay, throat's not, not too cooperative over there. Maybe we can make it easier for your throat. Let's do this. So that you introduce something which un, unconsciously supports the fact that when you go
0: back to the activity, the student goes, oh, now I can do it better. And i say, oh, how about that? I bet you wish you had those teachers. I did. Because I you, do. you had the opposite of all of that. Everything you just said was the total opposite of, the type of training that you received. So do you believe that is probably the number one quality that a good teacher needs to
1: possess? Yeah. I mean, I used to come out of singing lessons and go into the hallway and cry. Yeah. Well, that's a good lesson. And it wasn't because I was trying with my whole being to do what the teacher said. And I was trying so hard to, to, to really be a good singer And then I was criticized and criticized and put down and compared to other people. And I, I was just so sensitive when I was singing and I really vowed if I ever teach, I'm never going to teach like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to put somebody down because they're not good enough. Although I have to be honest with people and say, you know what? Your chaps were just asleep today. (laughs)
0: but that's a kind way of approaching it it's not like saying your chest register sucks don't ever (laughs) you know what are you doing what are you thinking you know and shaming yeah Yeah. no i just absolutely
1: that's a very important aspect of the work which is to find a way to speak always be honest Mm. and say say what you see say what you hear so the student comes in and you think hmm jaw is so tight today. I would say, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? Your jaw doesn't want to let go. Mm. Oh, I had a fight with my boyfriend. Oh. Yes, yes. i yes. say, well, all right, let's massage you. Let's talk to your jaw. Come on. Let's do this. Mm. And then the person gets to see, oh, okay, something happened, but I can't address that. Not like, why are you having these jaw problems? This is terrible. You have to speak. You can't sing like that.
0: So in all these years, your brilliant career, and you've done so much, you've achieved so much, what do you think will be your legacy? Mm.
1: I guess what I would like to say, that my legacy would be that I was helpful. Oh, definitely.
0: That's that, that, just, yes, that definitely. And I would say every time someone hears the term CCM, that term is linked directly back to you. And I know when every time I do a a voice conference, whether people know it or not, and I'm sure they all know, I always say this is where it's come from. Well, thank you. That's very sweet. Every Uh, every single presentation, I credit it to you and the why. Thank
1: you. My understanding at that time was that if I made it be about me, Nobody would adopt the term that it was very important that not not be associated with me so that people could not know I created it. Sort of like the word vocology that Dr. Tiza created. Mm. You know, it's not Ingo Tietza's vocology. It's just folkology. and somatic voice work. Yes. The Levetri method. But people just talk about somatic voice work because it's universal. It's anybody working with somatic voice work or anybody talking about CCM. And so when I I think well what what's what would I like my legacy to be? I would like my legacy to be that I was helpful, that I served a higher good, and that I did it in a, with an attitude of I guess gratitude. Mm. You know, that I was able to finally give back
0: in a way that maybe I thought was missing. So yes. Was
1: a yes. yes. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. No, I totally yeah. get that. I totally get that because, you know, and service is really important and giving back because that's what we need to do. If we've had a brilliant career and people have been kind to us, we need to also repay that favour to the community and that's what mm. keeps it moving forward. Yes. So important to be of service. And and people worry about the money, but the money will come and you don't do it from that place. You have to do it from a place of giving and the money will follow if you do it from the right place. Yeah. You have to look at everybody who's ever done anything of of
1: value has had to sacrifice Mm. to get there and then they have the opportunity to give back. And so, I mean, I would never have imagined that my life and my career was going to go where it went. To me it looks like <laughs> Yes, yes. But you know, having the opportunity now to look this way when there's many more years behind me, then I'm not gonna have another 73 years going forward. You can look back and say, well, maybe things are a little different now than they would have been if I hadn't been where I am. And more than that, I don't think you can ask, you know. Exactly. I'm yes. supposed to I'm supposed to write a book. I have a book contract with Compton. But I got interrupted first with my hip and then with COVID. But hopefully, I would also say my legacy will be my book if I ever get it done. <laughs> mm. no.
0: Yes, well, See? that that's amazing. Well, he Noel be a very lucky man to have you as an author that's published well, He's been
1: very patient. I had to I had to write to him and say, I'm really sorry, but I can't provide this book because blah, blah, blah. Mm. And he's mm. been very gen- generous and, and yes. understanding. But
0: yes. it's still on my agenda. I'm still Good gonna- on you. Good on you. <laughs> so in and, winding uh, up. Yes. Okay. I'm going to ask you three more questions and that's okay. it. I promise. So okay. what are you up to next? So there's the book. Well now what the next thing is that's
1: really immediate is the webinars. Let us start with on Monday I have four free webinars. Then after that is the institute which is in July. It's 9 days in July. What and dates? It starts on night the 9th, July 9th to July 17th and people can still book. Mhm. Yeah, okay. the the website is on the on the college website. Yes.
0: And I'll share the links. I'll share the links in the show notes. www.edu. I will share all your links, Jeannie, in my show notes. And then after that,
1: I don't have any specific plans, but I have, well, it depends on how how I do if I have to travel.
0: I don't know what my hip will like. Are you going to ICBT? No. I'm going to go to the Voice Foundation in Philadelphia just to Mm -hmm. see how I do. Mm Mm-hmm because that's only two
1: hours away by car. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I will be in a plane traveling a long distance because generally speaking, a few hours, and then I really have to move around. Yes. And then, you know, so I have my student Moran in Israel waiting for me to come to Israel, and the Brazilians would like me to come back to Brazil.
0: So I don't know. Right now I don't have anything beyond the Institute. Mm-hmm. So see how I do. one One foot forward at a time. Yeah. Yes. And so you, with all your wisdom, what is the greatest piece of advice you would like to offer our singing voice community, like something we could do better or something that you strongly believe
1: in? I I would say to you, the thing that we all have to remember is Both the Hindu scriptures and the Christian Bible say in the beginning was the word or in the beginning was the sound. And science tells us we started with the Big Bang. So that we we must remember that our sound is our spirit in our body. The voice, the vibration of your voice is your soul made manifest as sound. So when you are true to your voice and true to your word, that is to say, tell the truth, then you are speaking from the most empowering point of view that exists and when you speak knowing that you know that you are speaking from a loving truth you are creating reality that is this essence everything in the universe is a vibration a particle or a wave so when you speak and you say anything it could be something like that was a great lesson that Energy of that sound coming from you straight through and in your own voice in your own body comfortably and happily literally creates a reality for the other person to go. Oh, that's was a great lesson, and and that's the essence of this work. The essence of this work is to find your voice, raise your voice, share your voice, voice, cherish your voice, and basically tell the truth in each moment as yourself. That's all you can ask. And it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you never trip up and say something stupid or a lie or whatever. We all do those things. But when your intention is to be of service and you're impeccable with your word and your sound, you're operating at the essence of creativity in the whole universe.
0: More than that, you cannot do. Wow. That is absolutely beautiful. And it is so in line with the messaging behind my podcast. Absolutely beautifully said. Wow, wow, wow. So powerful and so true. Well, that is why musician and magician come from the
1: same source in English. And those of us that are working with music are working with magic. And so when we're working with sound and we're working with music and voice, that is the essence of all that is in the world. And if we hold it that way and regard it in a kind of a sacredness, that's As much as you can ask.
0: Beautiful. Well, Jeannie, I'm going to let you go. You've yes, been thank you. so, oh, so kind, my husband. <laughs> oh, Jerry, poor! Oh, we can't let him go hungry. Oh my goodness! <laughs> if he's like my husband, he'd be roaring like a wounded bull right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might be just taking a nap. I'm not sure, but oh anyways, my god, for us to eat. No, thank, thank you, you for so this. much. Mm-hmm. Much love to you, and I hope to see you in person sometime soon. Yes, that and would we'll be share all your information, especially thank to you. the institute in the show yep. notes. Okay, thank, thank you, you Jeannie. Mm-hmm. Good night, Lots of love. Lots Bye. of love to you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A Voice and Beyond. I hope you enjoyed it as now is an important time for you to invest in your own self-care, personal growth and education. Use every day as an opportunity to learn and to grow so you can show up feeling empowered and ready to live your best life. If you know someone who will also be inspired by this episode, please be sure to copy and paste the link and share it with them or share it on social media and use the hashtag A Voice and Beyond. I promise you I am committed to bringing you more inspiration and conversations just like this one every week. And if you would like to help me, please rate and review this podcast and cheer me on by clicking the subscribe button on Apple Podcast right now. I would also love to know what it is that you most enjoyed about this episode and what was your biggest takeaway. Please take care and I look forward to your company next time on the next episode of A Voice and Beyond.